Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy this sermon podcast. Now on to our message. Today we're in Genesis chapter 39 again. Uh, for the third week in a row, as, um, as we look at Joseph's time in Potiphar's house. And the title of this week's message is Temptations at Potiphar's House, Part 3. And uh, we'll see what temptation Joseph is facing here uh, in this message as we get into the text. Genesis 39, verse 5. So Joseph has been sold into slavery by his brothers He is now in Potiphar's house and Potiphar puts him in charge. And we pick up the story in verse five of Genesis 39. I'm actually reading out of the NIV today. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're with Joseph. We thank you that you're with us. You're with us to uh, lead us, guide us, empower us, fill us. And so we welcome you to do that in our hearts today as we hear your word, as we gather around uh, the gospel that is found in Joseph's story, the, the pointer to the truer and better Joseph in Jesus Christ. So bless this time. Today we pray in Jesus' name, amen. In the New Testament, in the book of Romans, chapter 15 and verse four, Paul wrote 
of the stories in the Old Testament this. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And that verse is fulfilled today in the preaching and hearing of this message. That as we look back at this Old Testament story of Joseph, one of the great goals of the Holy Spirit in your heart is that you would have hope, that you'd be able to endure and through the encouragement of the scriptures, as it says in Romans, have hope as you walk through your story and your journey. Different than Joseph's, but we all face pain and suffering, confusion, wilderness times, and the Lord wants you to have hope. And he uses a story like the story of Joseph to teach us that. Early on in Genesis, all kinds of God activity, miracles, voices, uh, appearances, and yet we get to Joseph's story, early in Joseph's story, and there's nothing. God isn't even mentioned in the first part of Joseph's story. And as we've said week after week, God's silence is not absent, absence. That God is working under the surface of Joseph's story, and he's working under the surface of our story. Finally, we get to Genesis 39, and we see God is there. Finally, finally, God is mentioned here in Genesis 39 when it says in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. And then several other times in the text we read today, it says the Lord was with Joseph. In Genesis 37, we saw that the Lord was with Joseph in his sufferings. In Genesis 39, we see that the Lord is with Joseph in his temptations. And this is the third temptation of three that Joseph faced in Potiphar's house that we've looked at. So this is the final week here, looking at these temptations that he faced as he was with Potiphar. In the first message, we looked at the temptation of power. Joseph has come into this center of power. Uh, Potiphar is a very powerful man. He was the captain of the king's army. And so Joseph has come into a place of power and influence. And we see a contrast between how Joseph handled power and how Potiphar's wife handled power. Potiphar's wife used power and influence. She used her gifts of beauty and the, the influence she had uh, over others. She used it to fill her own needs. She used it for her own appetites. But Joseph used his power and influence uh, to serve others and to bless others. And so that was, that was the temptation of power. Last week, we looked at the sexual temptation that Joseph faced. And how did Joseph resist? Well, he said in verse nine, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Joseph didn't suppress his sinful desire. He enhanced his desire for God. And I think sometimes when, when people think about uh, self-control and, and, and uh, resisting sexual temptation, I think sometimes people think, either Christians think about ourselves or others think about Christians, that what we do is we suppress our sinful desires. But what we see Joseph doing is enhancing his desire for God. He's stirring up his affection for God. And in doing that, in, in raising up this one overmastering desire, this one overarching desire, it's set in order every other desire in his life. Notice he didn't say, how could I sin against Potiphar? And as we discussed this in group uh, this last week, uh, my wife Heidi brought up. He didn't say, how could I sin against Potiphar? He said, how could I sin against God? He stirred up his desire for God. 
And today we're looking at the third temptation, which I believe is the hardest temptation of all. Joseph has done everything right this time. Now in Genesis 37, it seems he brought his suffering on himself as he was arrogant and prideful. He was insensitive to how what he was saying to his brothers was affecting them. He shared a bad report about them to their father. Seems like he kind of brought some of the suffering on himself in Genesis 37. But in Genesis 39, Joseph has done everything right. He resists temptation. He's faithful to God. He obeys God's commandments. And yet his life blows up anyway. So what's the hardest temptation of all? The hardest temptation of all is the temptation of despair. The despair after you've resisted all other temptations and it still goes bad. When you're doing everything right and God let all this happen to me, it's very difficult not to despair in that moment. We say, I sowed a better field than I don't deserve this. I, I've earned a better life than this. Maybe what's beneath the despair is the deeper temptation of earning. But the scriptures teach us that we're saved by grace through faith, that there's no way to twist God's arm with your righteousness, you know, sort of to turn God into this, uh, you know, heavenly pinata that if you sort of come at him the right way, then, you know, you get all the, you, you get nothing but blessing, you get nothing but candy, you get nothing but the good stuff. There's no, there's no way to, you know, he's God, not me. Uh, I, don't, oh, I don't order him around and tell him what to do. I can't twist his arm with my righteousness and I'll, I'll never have enough good in my life. I'll never be a good enough person or have enough righteousness in order to do that anyway. Sometimes we think that the way we've lived has earned us something with God. Now, God does bless and his word says that there's the law of sowing and reaping, that God is not mocked. What a man sows, he shall reap. And sowing what is good causes us to reap what is good. But this doesn't mean that we found a silver bullet to rescue us from all suffering in this world. Your good deeds don't make you more acceptable or earn you freedom from pain. And though there are consequences to sin, your bad deeds don't make you less acceptable and more deserving of pain. We are accepted by God on the basis of his love and grace that are found in Christ, not on the basis of performance. And God may have plans for us that we can't understand, whether we've done good or bad. Suffering doesn't mean God is mad at us, and a lack of suffering doesn't mean he loves us more. Nor does it indicate whether you've been good or bad in his eyes. But when we suffer and forget that God is still at work in the pain, that God still loves me in the pain, that God is still present in the pain, all this stuff comes up. How did I end up here? You know, in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, we call that the hall of faith because it mentions this list of, of heroes of faith who, who lived for and died for God. And you might say that that chapter in Hebrews 11 has two lists, heroes who triumph and heroes who suffer. And it doesn't say that those who triumphed were more righteous or had more faith than those who suffered. What it does say is they all lived the lives that, that they lived and, and walked out the stories that they had in faith of a future promise of ultimate salvation. 
and that all of it was for the glory of God, whether they triumphed or whether they suffered. So as Christians, whether we triumph or whether we suffer, it's all for the glory of God. But if we forget that God is good, that God is in control, that God is working, we end up with anger and despair. And this is not an unusual place to be for a Christian. I think sometimes there's this way of thinking out there in modern Western Christianity that um, it, it's, you know, it's, it's unusual it's, that, that Christians uh, shouldn't suffer terribly in some way, especially when you get around the health, wealth, name it and claim it kind of culture. But it's not unusual for the Christian. Peter actually said, why are you surprised as though something strange were happening to you when he was speaking to suffering Christians? As a matter of fact, moments or seasons where you experience this kind of temptation to despair are the normal Christian experience. One of my journal entries, in some ways, as a, as a songwriter, <clears throat> many of you know I was involved in Christian music for a long time, and a lot of my journal, sort of my diary uh, entries are, are my songs. <clears throat> and in 2001, um, some of you know my story, I went through a time of depression and here's some lyrics from a song that I wrote. <clears throat> Actually, I never even finished it. Just to give an example of how our hearts end up in this place of struggling <clears throat> and despair. From 2001. I'm not the man I thought I'd be by now. I know better than my father's. I thought that I'd be more like you, talking to God, talking to Jesus. I thought that I'd be more like you somehow, but I'm just like all the others. Can you change my heart, O oh Lord? Can you change my nature? <clears throat> so convinced I could live right for you, each morning so determined. But each night I look back on my day, just things that I'm regretting. <clears throat> Your arm, O oh Lord, is not too short to save. Your power is still strong enough to change. <clears throat> that, so that was, that was a dark season in my life where I was being tempted by, by despair. It's, it's normal for a Christian to face moments or seasons like that. How about Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 4? Elijah, this incredible, almost larger than life, giant hero of faith, went through this time of despair. 1 Kings 19. <clears throat> Excuse me. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had killed all the prophets with the sword, the prophets of Baal. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as, as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came down and sat under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I'm no better than my father's. Elijah wasn't suicidal. I saw some might say he was. I, I don't think he was. I think he was just saying, you know, it would just be a whole lot better for this to be over and for me to just be with you than to have to walk through this pain. I mean, he had just defeated the prophets of Baal and <clears throat> he'd done everything right. And now Jezebel uh, makes him one of the most wanted men uh, in Israel, had this wicked queen wanted his head and now he's despairing 
I've done everything right. And yet here I am, running for my life. Uh, instead of someone who's seen as a friend of the king and queen, as a friend of Israel, which, which I am, I want, I want what's best for Israel. Instead, I'm seen as an enemy. And he despaired. How about John the Baptist? Even he struggled, it seems, with this temptation when he was in prison. In Matthew 11, verses 2 through 6, Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to them, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Blessed is the one, Jesus said, who is not offended by me. What an amazing answer Jesus gave. I mean, John, the one who said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, it identified the Christ, is now in prison uh, not long from his execution. And it seems that he's now wanting to make sure that what he said was right. Are you the one or shall we look for another? And why would he say that? I wonder if he said that because maybe he's, he's still in prison and he's saying, why, why, why haven't you come and got me out? I know you can heal the sick and raise the dead. Can't you open a prison door for me? And indeed he can. Why haven't you come and rescued me? Jesus says, blessed is the one who is not offended in me. A profound statement. Blessed are you, John. He's saying, I'm not going to come get you. This time, John wasn't rescued from the prison. Other stories in in the New Testament, God's people were rescued from the prison. Peter was rescued from the prison. Not John, not rescued from the prison. Jesus is saying, the blind do receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed. I'm doing the things you would expect the Christ to do. I'm the one, John. Blessed is a man who is not offended in me. Blessed are those who, when they suffer, love me and trust me anyway, that they're not offended by me. And so we see with Elijah, we see it with John the Baptist. I share it from my own experiences. Adoniram Judson, the great missionary, after his wife died, laid in a grave that he dug and said, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. So being in a place like this is not unusual for God's people. It's, it's actually the normal Christian experience in moments and chapters and seasons in our life. But here's, here's where we need to be encouraged. And here's what we need to understand. You and I have perspective on Joseph's life that we can't possibly have on our own lives. Here's what we know about Joseph. If Joseph would not have been framed by Potiphar's wife, if Joseph would not have gone to prison, as it says in today's text, and been among the king's prisoners, then he never would have gone to the palace. If all these awful things hadn't happened to him, betrayed by his brothers, uh, framed by Potiphar's wife, he might have risen up high in Potiphar's house, but he never would have become the prince of Egypt. He never would have been able to rescue his family and tens of thousands of others. God didn't save Joseph in spite of this tragedy. Don't you see? God saved Joseph and his family through this tragedy. Over and over again, it says the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success. 
Tim Keller said, nothing can derail God's quiet care for you and his ultimate plan for your life. Think how secure you and I and confident we would be if we really embrace and believe that. Nothing can derail God's quiet care for you and his ultimate plan for your life. Don't forget the ultimate Joseph. Jesus Christ lived a great life. He was absolutely perfect in all his ways. He'd done everything right in all his words and all his deeds. He'd resisted all temptation, yet his life blew up in the end. But there was a resurrection and there will be a resurrection for you as you trust in Christ. You say, well, that was Joseph and Jesus, but is it really true for me? We don't have your book. We don't have your story. And remember, before it's all over, the dream will probably look stupid, just like it did for Joseph. The story of Joseph is supposed to stand in for you and what you don't know about your story. It's there to teach us that this is how God works in everyone's life. Back to Romans 15 and what I quoted at the beginning of this message. What was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Hold on to that hope today. Grab a hold of that hope today in your story. Grab a hold of that hope as you consider your worst pain, your most confusing trials. Grab a hold of that hope that the scriptures want to give you through the story of Joseph. Hymn writer William Cowper used to get depressed. And when he'd come out of depression, he'd write some of his best hymns and insightful hymns. Here's some uh, lyrics from one of his hymns. God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, there hides a smiling face. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break with blessings on your head. He plants his footsteps in the sea. Wow. I think of Moses and the Israelites walking through the Red Sea. Moses walked through the sea. Joseph walked through the sea. Jesus walked through the sea. He'll lead you and I through the sea. He says, when you walk through water, not if, when you walk through water, it will not overtake you, it will not drown you. When you walk through fire, not if, when you walk through fire, you will not be burned. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, we can come out without the smell of smoke on us. Some application today. I want to encourage you. Don't base what you believe on your feelings. Base what you believe on the promises of Scripture. Number two, allow God's word to tell you what's really going on. Don't let your feelings or even your circumstances tell you what's going on. Allow God's word to do that. Number three, don't be surprised if part of your story doesn't make sense. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall make your path straight. He'll make sense of it. And finally, number four, lift up your eyes and be encouraged. Grab a hold of that hope. You know, in Isaiah chapter six, the prophet Isaiah is going through a hard time. 
the king, King Uzziah died, friend of his. He says, in a year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple and I saw angels calling out to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. If there was ever a time that Isaiah the prophet needed to see uh, the glory of the Lord, it was in that moment. There's warring nations surrounding Israel. The king, a friend died and prophets didn't always have friends and kings. Who's the next king going to be? And he saw the Lord. And you and I need to see the Lord in our trials. But look at what Isaiah saw. Angels were saying, the whole earth is full of the glory of God. And Isaiah could have said, the earth is full of your glory. Have you noticed my life? Have you noticed the circumstances in Israel? The earth isn't full of his glory. Not from where I'm looking at it, it's not. But somehow when we sit with God and we look at the world through his eyes, through the eyes of his promises and his covenants, and through the eyes of, of angels, we can say, look, the whole earth is full of his glory. Look, my life is full of his glory. God is good. God is in control. God is working. If you're suffering with despair right now, I want to encourage you to go to Jesus. Offload your burden to him and say, help me to see with your eyes. Help me to have hope, real hope, so that I can walk through what I'm walking through, endure this with perseverance. You know what perseverance is? It's supernatural power from God to outlast all your trials. God gives that to us by his spirit. And he'll give that to you today. Thanks for watching. God bless you. And above all, remember, Jesus is enough. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.